Now, this morning, we are excited because we are beginning and stepping into the Advent season. Now, Advent season is something that every single church, honestly, probably across the world, is engaging today because it is the beginning of the holiday season. It's the beginning of us doing a couple of things. One, recognizing and celebrating that Jesus has come. But the other part of that is that we celebrate that Jesus is coming again. In fact, when we think about the word Advent, all it simply means is the coming. That's all that it means. And in the context of church history, Advent was ultimately originated with this idea of, hey, we celebrate Christmas, yes, that Jesus has come, but we have to, listen, we have to live with an intentionality of recognizing that he is coming again. Because the idea is simple. If I think that Jesus is coming back in an hour, it will change how I live for the next hour. If I believe Jesus is coming tomorrow, then it will affect how I live today. If I live in this understanding and belief and conviction that Jesus is returning soon, then it should affect how I live my life. Because in that, I will live with a greater intentionality, with a greater focus on him and looking forward to his coming, literally looking in the direction of his coming. And so the idea is Timothy's going to be speaking this morning, talking about Emmanuel, God with us, and he's going to lead us into this beginning understanding of what does it mean for God with us, maybe something deeper than that that he's going to lead us to. But I want to invite you at this time just to close your eyes. Timothy's going to go ahead and come and get ready to, to speak. But I want you to close your eyes and I want you to silence yourself this morning. Silence your heart. Silence your thoughts. Get settled. Focus on Jesus. Recognize where your focus is in life. Is it scattered? Is it torn? Is it confused? And I want you to pray a simple prayer. Jesus. Help me to focus fully on you. Father, we're asking for grace this morning. Your ability to focus our heart, attention, and our affections on you, Jesus. Because we live with the understanding that you are God with us. That you have come. That we also live in this understanding that you will come again. And I pray, Jesus, that you would shift our hearts to see the fullness of Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. I don't know, I don't know if you all heard that, but Steve walked by me and said, nice. The reason he said nice is because I bumped into those branches about 14 times while you were praying. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> ha, start with a chuckle. Um, Steve said, I'm Timothy. I work at Vintage. Um, this is a good time to talk about this. I work with students, so middle school and high school students. Those are my people. Um, I, yeah, that, right, Eliana? The funny thing is the people who are cheering the loudest are in college. Not you, Josiah. You look like a, you look like a middle school muskrat. We joke. We have fun. We have fun. Isn't that right, Steve and Janine? Steve and Janine are Josiah's parents. We have fun together. Um, hey, real quick, um, because it's my job and I want you to know about it, um, if you have a high school or middle school student, we're going on a retreat in January. Yeah, we was right. Um, here's what I need you to do, though, is sign up. I don't know if you all are aware of this, but occasionally we here at Vintage can procrastinate. And by that, I mean wait until the very last minute to do things. Sometimes after the last minute. Not pointing any fingers, just saying it happens. So it would be great because we have limited space to sign your kids up. It's going to be really fun. Um, I'm excited. We're doing it with Stonebridge. It's a church in our network. It's going to be really cool. Um, So Aaron and Cole, raise your hand. Those two right there would love to sign your kids up to go on a retreat I 90% promise they'll come back okay, and 90% works 60% of the time. 
Um, and you know what? Just because I have a microphone and you can't stop me, and I'm already talking. Um, so like I said, I work with kids. Or kids. Sorry, guys. That's like demeaning to you. I work with students. They're not kids. They're young adults. Um, and I think it's like the greatest job in the world, to be honest. Like I know that like a lot, like a lot of people sometimes work isn't always the most fun thing. Um, I get the, I think I have the best job in the world because our students are great. Um, but, uh, we have a lot of people that help with our students. Um, a lot of people that make my job way easier and help me not fail you. <laughs> um, so real quick, just cause I want to do this. If you work with our students, stand up. Yeah. Look around. Look around. Look around. And so to give you an idea, this is about like half, right? Half. Y'all can sit down. Um, and I do that for one reason. One, uh, well, I do it for two reasons. One, because you need to know that we take this really seriously. And two, um, there's no way I could ever thank the people that helped me enough. And so even though it has barely anything to do with what we're going to talk about, you need to know that they do that because it is a great service to everyone here. So you're welcome, Vintage, from them. Anyway, um, we're going to talk about Jesus. Good with that? Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that, Walt. Dude, man, Walt, what happened, bro? I hear you, man. I'm trying to do stuff. I feel you, dude. Um, and just so you know, I know this because several people talk to me about this. My shoes are very white. I understand that. Don't be distracted. Here's the impressive thing. I've had them since July, and they're this white, mainly because when people come around me, I stiff arm them. Brandon Carter, where are you? Brandon Carter thinks it's funny to step on my shoes. Next time, he will have less teeth. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> yeah, love him. Love him. Doug, I saw you holding a toddler upside down in the foyer going, this is how I parent. <laughs> That's how I lead youth ministry. Um, so I, I'm just going to let you in on something, okay? Because um, if you're new here, we kind of do things as like a family. And so there's very little pretense and very little like, hey, this is church and it's this big thing where whatever. Um, so I spoke at 9 o'clock and I really didn't like it. So I, um, I changed almost everything <laughs> in 17 minutes. Um, you ever do that, Steve? Yeah. I just didn't like it. It didn't feel good. I don't, I don't know. I just didn't like it. Um, and so I changed it uh, because I didn't like it, to be honest. And so hopefully y'all like it. Amy, is it good with you? <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so we're going to be in this together. So here's the deal. It could be even worse this time, and I'm sorry. But I'm going to read the Bible and talk about Jesus, and that should at least be good enough, right? Right? Like, so help me out. Um, so a little, little background on where we are. If you haven't been with us for the past while, um, for the entire fall, we focused on this idea of emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, there's a guy named Pete Scazzaro up in New York, and he developed this whole giant curriculum based on his own personal experience where he realized that he and the people he was leading were practicing a, were practicing a spirituality that was right and, and, and ultimately good, but wasn't leading them to the, tr- the kind of transformation that Jesus said it would lead them to. And so he's like, man, there's just a lot of stuff that in Christian culture we don't address just because it's difficult, honestly. And to actually have a spirituality that thrives in the long run, we need to address this stuff. So we spent like, I don't know, 10 or 12 weeks addressing stuff that nobody wants to talk about. So it was awesome, right? I had the, I had the good fortune of coming up here and being like, Hey, your parents probably screwed you up. Let's talk about that. Um, My parents were perfect. My dad's right there. And my mom will listen to this tomorrow. No, they were good. I felt kind of bad because I was like, sucks for y'all. I feel great. Like, I'm good. We Gucci. Let's go. Um, That was for the kids. Um, Well, so we went through all this stuff. And honestly, like, Here's the deal is it was just kind of hard, like it was kind of heavy, right? Like when you're talking about stuff about like dealing with loss, dealing with like dealing with emotions that you don't always feel like are, are super easy to deal with, or maybe you don't even feel like you're allowed to deal with in church. 
um, it can just get heavy and hard and weary and dark. Um, and so it's really good that we're coming into Advent right now because ultimately Advent is supposed to be really hopeful. Like, right? And like Luke, it says that it's good news of great joy. Right? Like it causes people, like in the stories, you see people like worshiping and, and doing all this other stuff that is really hopeful and happy. Um, but that makes me ask a question. Is, is this season always hopeful? Is it always happy? Is it always stress and anxiety free? Do we approach this like yes or more like, whew. okay, here we go. Um, and I think if we're, on, like, I think if we're honest, um, it's probably both, right? Like we look at it and we're like, this is awesome. There's great things here. There are great, you know, all the stuff Steve was talking about, this historic Christian stuff that we get to be a part of. And there's great Christmas stuff too, right? Like some of you freaks were decorating your house in October. It's wrong. Just so you know, it's wrong. You can't put anything up until after Thanksgiving. If you're decorating for Christmas at Halloween, you need like medication or something. Like that's not okay. Like the avenues were decorated last April. Like it's not like you know, like it's not okay. Like y'all need to get it right. Like if you started hanging Christmas stuff Friday, good, awesome. I saw a lot of people went Christmas tree shopping. That's great. If you went Christmas tree shopping and and it was like spring, not okay. Sorry. I have firm opinions about this. Um, and like, it's, it's, so there's like a lot of great stuff that we get to do, like, you know, like Christmas lights and family and presents and all this other stuff. But I think, I mean, if we're honest, there's also a lot of other stuff that goes along, in, along with this. Um, like, I think for me, at least, and this is funny how it transitioned. When I was, I don't know, not independent, Christmas season was great. As I became an adult... I was like, man, this is stressful because I started having this thing called a bank account. And I started having to buy Christmas presents for people that my parents didn't buy. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. Um, and you start to like measuring, you have to start like measuring your vacation days, right? And then, I mean, I love my family and friends. Sometimes it can be difficult. Like, and this is as far as, this is as far into as I'm going to go. Um, so I went to my mom's for Thanksgiving, and we have a very diverse group that gathers for our Thanksgiving thing. So my mom called me on Tuesday. She said, here's what you need to do, here's where you need to be, and just so you know, if you say anything about politics, I will murder you in your sleep. Like, honestly, like, I could have just been, like, election, and it would have been, like, throwing a grenade into a room and being like, ha, 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 and then running away. She, she called my sister, my, my sister, Wynn, who lives in Florida, um, called her, like, a month in advance. I was like, you better not say anything. Like, even, like, like, stuff like that, but not to mention, like, these are people you've been around your whole life. So there's all this stuff, and sometimes it's just not easy, right? Um, but it's supposed to be. It's supposed to ultimately be hopeful. It's supposed to, supposed to be this good news of great joy. It's supposed to be this thing that breathes life into us. And I think for a lot of people and for all of us, a lot of times it's not. And so I think we need to address that. Um, and I think what we, when we read the passage we're going to read, um, the uh, Emmanuel means God with us. I think the Bible would say that the reason this is hopeful the reason we rejoice, the reason all, like the reason that this is what it is or is supposed to be what it's supposed to be is because of this idea. And so this morning, like, I just want to kind of look at one passage, um, see what it has to say about this idea, see how Scripture has built up to it, and see what we should do about it. All right? Is that good? Um, so here's the deal. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. But... Um, I have to go through the whole rest of the Bible to get there so you understand what's going on. So in, I'm going to go for four minutes. We're going to go through the whole Bible, okay? That's that much. All right? Y'all in? Y'all good? Um, be, and the reason is, is because we got to understand where this is in history because that's a huge deal. Um, see, in the beginning, if we, you got to start in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, Right? God created everything that is. He created, out of nothing, by his word, he created light and space. 
and planets and black holes and pine cones and aardvarks and all this other stuff, right? And then at the culminate, the peak of creation, he says we're going to make people in our image. And so he creates our first parents, Adam and Eve. And, and he gives them like two things to do. He says, be fruitful, multiply, be my representation on the earth. And then he says, there are two trees in the garden where you live. Um, you can't eat from this tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. It's, it's just not good for you. You shouldn't do it. And so, like, everything's going good. Um, you know, space is spacing. Light is lighting. Pine cones are pine coning. Aardvarks are aardvarking. There, everything's going according to plan. And then um, this, this enemy comes in in Genesis chapter 3. Basically, the, the personification of everything that would ever come against God and his people. It, the Bible calls him a lot of things the enemy, the evil one, the deceiver, the accuser, the serpent, devil, Satan, all this stuff, right? And he comes in and he deceives our first parents to disobey God. So get this. Everything that exists is doing exactly what God told it, them to do, right? Black holes are black holing. All this stuff is going on. And God tells people to do like two things. And they're like, man. First time ever that this has happened. And it breaks everything. It messes everything up. It rips everything apart. And all of a sudden, nothing is like it was supposed to be. Right? And like we take this for granted. We're like, oh, that's just the way it is. But so this is funny because I usually only speak to them. Now I get to speak to everybody. And if you have one of them or you've been around one of them, you know that this is true. Because how many times have you said, do this? And they're like, no. Right? A lot? AK, Sarah, what are y'all doing? We'll talk later. Don't worry. We're not going to talk. Don't worry. Um. And all of a sudden, everything breaks. The thing that is most broken, though, is God's relationship with his people. Like, right, it's, it's severed, it's broken, it's fractured. And, and this has repercussions throughout everything. But the most important thing, the thing that Scripture focuses on as, like, a primary theme is God's relationship with his people. And then for the rest of this, this whole thing right here, I think this, all of these pages can be summed up in one sentence. And it's a sentence that a guy named Richard Foster wrote. He said, all of that is God saying to his people, I want to be with you. Will you be with me? God's great desire is to restore relationship with his people. It's what's best for us. It's the way he made us. It's the way everything is supposed to function. And so all of this stuff happens. But along with that, if you read this, there's this theme where things are promised. And one of the great things that is promised is that there would be someone, a person who comes along and mends our relationship with God. Like, right, like God, give, God gives prophets to speak, to speak to this. God gives kings and judges to lead his people to this. God does all of this stuff, trying, working, trying to get these wayward people to just understand this is what they need. And nothing seems to work. And then we get to this page right here. And here's what you need to understand. Between this page and the page we're about to read are 430 years. It's a lot for a page that just says the New Testament, right? So in between these two things, there's 430 years. And this is a time where it's kind of silent. Like there's no real word from the Lord. There's no, I mean, there, there's stuff going on. But as far as the stuff that we see in the Old Testament... There's nothing like that. And, th and then something happens that is stunning, that is awe-inspiring. And it's what we're going to read right now. It says this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he thought about it, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, 
son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So, after all of the history, like after all of human history and then 430 years of silence, after a history of God's activity trying to bring his people back to him, we get this passage. And what we, what we, what we need to understand is that Matthew, in a ton of different ways, is saying, hey, everything we hoped for, everything we wanted, everything that was promised, Everything that we need to make the things that don't feel right feel right is in, this, is in this kid, is in this baby that's being born. This is the one. This is the one we hoped for. This is the one we waited for. This is the one we prayed for. This is the one we looked forward to. This is the one. Unequivocally, this is the one. And there's some specific things I think we need to look at, some major themes in this passage that will help us understand what's going on and it will kind of lead us through um, this season. Um, the first thing we see, uh, the first thing I see um, is that there's need here. Like the whole feel of this passage, when we put it in the broader picture of Scripture, is that there's need. Like it, it, it says that he's going to be a savior He's the Messiah. He's the one. He's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to rescue people. Now, I don't consider myself to be the best swimmer in the world. But, like, if I get pushed into the shallow end of a swimming pool, I don't often feel like I need a rescue. Like, I don't often feel like I need a savior, right? If I did, that would be kind of silly because it's like three feet. Right. Like, I don't need that. But there have been times um, we actually we went white rider rafting this summer and um, went rafting with a fun group of guys who thought it was real cool to do some stuff. Um, and so we were rafting. Right. We were going down this big. Uh, who 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 was across from me? Was it Con- it was Josiah? What? No, it's Connor. Connor. Connor, raise your hand. Connor was opposite me. And so we're going down this, by the way, Connor fell in love with the river guide. You need to ask him about that. Her name is Charity. She loves it. Yes, he loves her with all of his heart. Um, ask him about it. Talk to him about it. Um, and so, you know, we're in, you know, we're on the Ocoee, white water. It's pretty intense. I think this was like a mild class four. And so we go down the thing and I spin with my back to the water and we, and I'm like looking, trying to paddle. And we go down this like little waterfall thing. So I'm like parallel with the water. But I'm like, I'm good. I got this. And then I look up and I see to me what looks like Connor is diving at me with his paddle like this. And he like cross checks me out of our raft into the water. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you for a split second when I was underwater, under our raft, and it got cross checked in the throat with a paddle, I was like, I might need some help here. Like, this might not end good for me. Um, especially, I don't know if y'all have been whitewater rafting, but all they do beforehand is they're like, if you don't do the right thing, you're going to die out there. And I'm like, don't want that. But for a brief minute, this was not the shallow end for me. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. In that circumstance, if I wasn't the strapping athlete that I am, I might have needed rescue because it was outside of my power to do anything about that situation, right? Like the water is stronger than I am. The raft on top of me is heavier than I am. I can barely breathe because someone who says they're my friend cross-checked me in the jugular with a paddle. Like I just, I'm just, it's just rough, rough time to be me. Um, and so all of the stuff that we get here says, says that 
not just these people, but all people need something. Right? And I don't mean like want, I mean need. This is a great season to distinguish between wants and needs. How many of you have gotten a Christmas list from someone so far? Raise your hand if you've gotten a Christmas list. How many of those things on the Christmas list are needs? There you go. <laughs> I need these shoes. I need them. I need the new... I need, what's, uh, no, I guess Xbox One is the newest one, right? Yeah, I need that, though. I need these clothes. Well, actually, I don't think kids want clothes anymore. No. <laughs> Somebody went, no. <laughs> I, I need this. But no, it's not actually a need. Like, we, we know. But this is saying that we need something. And I think if we're honest, day to day, we walk around and we know we need stuff. We look at things and we go, things, things are not like they, like we just feel out of place a little bit, right? Like, like there's a, I, I recently started reading this guy. His name's uh, Jim Harrison. He's a poet from Montana. And he talks about this one thing. He says, I feel like an alien in my body. You, you feel it, like we walk around and sometimes we feel at home, but sometimes we're like, this doesn't feel right. And we know that we need things. And we know that a lot of the things we need, we can't do. Like a lot of the things we need, we can't provide. And, and that's what we see here. And what this Matthew passage tells us is that the greatest solution to our need is wrapped up in this idea, Emmanuel, God with us. See, we think we need tons of stuff. We think we need the sets of relationships. We think we need approval. We think we need acceptance. We think we need more money. We think we need promotion. We think we need more time. We think there's all this stuff that we need, we have to have. And what this says is at the root of all of it, somehow, this idea of God with us, God being with us to rescue us, is the greatest need that we have. See, these, the, the people that he's writing this to felt like they had deep-seated, great, urgent needs. And none of them had to do with God rescuing them from their sins. But God comes in such a way, he names God's name in the earth. Jesus, it means God will save it is a reminder that, that God gives us things, God does things that we actually need. Maybe not the things we want, but the things we need most deeply. And so as we approach this season, as we look at this, like as you get stuff you want, as you do stuff for other people that they want, remember that, yeah, wants are, are, are okay and they need to be satisfied. But we all have deep, deep needs and the thing that meets these needs is Jesus coming, not just to do stuff, but to be with us. The next thing we see is hope. Right? Like, we see that this, this need that we have, this need to be restored to God that's been here for all these pages and all these years, this need that for our relationship to be healed, we see that someone has come to do it. Right? Like, like, let's, I, we need to understand this. So in this passage, here's what we have. It says, he, he references a, a, a scripture. He references a, he says, it, 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 to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. That's, and he references, I think it's Isaiah 9, 7. And what that meant, what that like, what Matthew's readers would have understood is he's saying, hey, all of these promises that are like this, all the promises we have of somebody coming to heal our relationship with God, this guy, Jesus, who was born to Mary and Joseph, he's the answer. He's the one that was promised in all of these promises. So all of scripture, all of our re religious tradition is culminates in this guy. More than that, he, he taught, there's this part where when the angel comes, he says, son of David, he says, uh, Joseph, son of David. And so son of David, do you have all the, can you run through it? So this, these, are the, these are the 17 verses we skipped over. Just look at these real quick. See all those names? Keep going. Look at all those names. Look at all those names. That's a bunch of names. All right, stop right there. So all of those names were to mention three names. All of those names, just so, just so we could mention three names. Abraham, David, and then Joseph, right? So Abraham, David, and Joseph. Why are these important? Abraham was the first person called by God after Adam and Eve to be in specific, special relationship with him. It was the establishment of God's people. 
David was the greatest king of God's people. And Joseph is in the, is related to these guys. So this is the founder of these people, the greatest king of these people. And now what Matthew is saying is, hey, our entire cultural, ethnic line, it finds its culmination, finds its fulfillment, finds the best of what it is in this kid that's being born. So you have all of their religious tradition, all of their cultural heritage and ethnic tradition. More than that, it says that God the Father, through the power of the Spirit, caused God the Son to be born. It's crazy, right? Like, press pause. That's bananas. Like, I, I think we get used to this, and we get used to being like, oh, yeah, Jesus was a person. He came as a bit. That's insane. Like, it's, it, what is happening here is crazy. Like, God is becoming a person. All of the energy of the Trinity is going in to birthing this child who is God in flesh for the express purpose of being with his people to rescue them. So we have all of Scripture, all of religious tradition, all of, all of human history, and then the, all of the activity and energy of God going into this child. That's our hope. Like, like our hope is found in him. All, all of the things that we can conceive of and think of are contained in this one majestic, unbelievable person. Like, I, I hate it, but our songs aren't enough. Our holidays aren't enough. Like, we got to get this deep in our heart. Like, we can't get used to this. We can't, we can't be, you know, this can't be a, a, an immunization. To, you know, y'all know how immunizations work? You, you basically, you get infected with a, like a weak dose of whatever you're being uh, immunized against. So basically, you get sick, your body learns to produce antibodies, and then you never get sick from it again. Let's not have this be it to where we get a little dose of Jesus every holiday season so much that we're, we're immune to it. We're immune to wonder. We're immune to awe. We're immune to the fact that the greatest person in human history, the greatest person in all of history, religious tradition, the person that is, in fact, God, came to be with us. That's bananas. And this is our hope. Our hope isn't in some teacher. Our hope isn't in some weak guy who dies. Our hope isn't in some system. Our hope isn't in some laws. Like, here's the deal. Whether, you're, whether your person won or lost a couple weeks ago, that's not where our hope is. Like, it's just not. Our hope is bound up in someone who can actually support and sustain it. Our hope is bound up in Jesus. Our hope is, is, is in God's action. See, a lot of times our hope, we put our hope in what we can do. Like, our hope stretches as far as our strength. Our hope stretches as far as our ability to affect a situation. And if we can't, we either don't think about it or it causes us to despair. Right? What God is saying is your hope should, your hope should be big enough to encompass all of human history, all of religious tradition, all of the stuff that you can conceive and think about God. That's how big our hope should be because that's who Jesus is. And if your hope isn't that big, it's just too small. And I think the thing that we feel is it's scary to risk that much. Because it's one thing to talk about all this other stuff, but when we tie ourselves up in that, it gets a little scary. What if I get disappointed? If I put all my eggs in this basket, what happens? And what we see here is Matthew is saying, hey, for thousands of years, our people have put all their eggs in this basket. And sometimes we felt disappointed. Sometimes we felt like we succeeded. We had, we had a king, we had a judge, we had a prophet who was doing the good thing, and we felt, okay, maybe God is working, right? I think we feel that too sometimes. We're like, work's going good. Family's going good. Kids doing good. School going good. Team's going good. Stuff's going good. But then when it doesn't, we're like, retract some of that hope, pull it in, pull it in. What God is saying is, hey, you need to evaluate where your hope is. If you have a small hope, it's probably because the hope rests on things that aren't ultimately made to hold it. 
It's because when we put our hope in God's action and not our own, we have the ability to have unlimited hope because God has unlimited strength. And what we see here is God keeps his promises. They might not be what we think. It might be different. But ultimately, he achieves what's best for us. Our, see, our hope is God with us. Our hope is that God would risk so much, love so much, be so committed that he wouldn't stay where he is, but he would come where we are to restore us. That's what our hope is. Our hope is in a God who is impatient for all the stuff he wants for us. Our hope is in a God who wants it more than we do. Our hope is in a God who is stronger, more powerful than we are, who is tireless, who all the stuff that we think is good, he is that in its absolute perfection. That's what our hope is. And we find the culmination, we find the fulfillment of that in God with us. And that's ultimately another thing we see is we see fulfillment. We see that God doesn't make promises and then not keep them. Like, for real, like, let's be honest. Like, I don't know about y'all, but like towards the end of the year, I start to think about the past year and then maybe time up until now. And I'm like, how am I doing? How's life going? And sometimes it's good and sometimes I get kind of disappointed. Ultimately, I get disappointed because I feel like something should have happened and it hasn't. I think if we're honest, like that's one of the things that we fight against, right? Like we get to this. We get to New Year's. We think about all the resolutions that we kept for three days. We think about all the hopes we had for 2016. We think about all the hopes that we had for 2000 to 2006. We think about all this stuff and we're like, man, maybe some, of this, maybe some stuff just isn't meant to be. But what we see is that God, what God promises, he ultimately fulfills. And hope in God does not disappoint. So like I just want to be honest with you guys. Like, I know a lot of, like a lot of us feel disappointed. Like, we feel like our hope has been deferred a little bit. And what this ultimately tells us is that it, it, is we have to keep looking. We have to place our hope in God's activity. We have to have unflagging and unfailing hope in that what God promises, he will ultimately do. And what we see here is the ultimate stamp of God's authority saying, I will do what I've promised. See, the ultimate fulfillment is that God is with us. The fulfillment of his answer to our need, the fulfillment of our hope is that God is with us. In the person of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, God is actually with us, working. And not just at Christmas, but on Tuesdays in April, on weekends in July, God's with us. So what do we actually do about this? Like, what are the things that this calls us to do? Um... One, I think we have to realize that God just does things differently than we do. Um, like, I look at this, and I'm like, if I want to win, I come with everything I've got. Like, I'm, I, like you can ask any, so like, uh, we have summer camp every summer, and occasionally there are sports tournaments. And a couple of years ago, I decided if I'm in a sports tournament, I'm going to win. And so you can ask the people about the dodgeball teams I put together, not this past year, the last year was bad. But a couple of years before that, we were the truth. Isn't that right, Brooks? Isn't that right, Brooks? Connor? Isn't that right? Con- I almost punched Connor in the face two years ago. Oh, man, I'll tell you all later. Um, but I've just got, like, show of force is what I go for there. Because I, I want to win. And, like, so if this is me... I'm coming with everything I've got, guns blazing. I'm coming with armies of angels. I'm coming. I'm shocking all in earth, being like, these are my people. I'm taking them. God's like, I got an idea, baby. Defenseless, helpless, harmless, soft-headed baby. Like, Jesus had a soft head. Like, Jesus was a real baby. He wasn't like a fake spirit baby. He was a real baby, right? Like, it said, you know, in the Luke passage, it says they wrapped him in cloths. Like, that was because they were worried he would break something. So they just kept them all bound up like they did other babies in that day. They weren't like, it wasn't like Majestic King Baby with golden hail. It's not what it was. He was just a baby. He probably vomited within 20 seconds of being born. Like, he was a baby. And that was God's plan. God's plan was, was to birth Jesus. And not even in, like, the most important place or the most important family. Some teenage girl out in the middle of nowhere. God is showing us that he's doing something that is un, 
believable that only he can get credit for. But he does it in a way that is completely different than we would do it. And the, the, way, the reason I think he does things differently than we would is because he sees everything differently than we see everything. He understands things differently than we understand stuff. So this is, this is what I think, okay? I think this, specifically in this season, caused us to under, understand ourselves in a different way. And, and thus to do things in a different way. Um, so I think there, there are three things that we live with all the time. Um, have y'all heard of Have y'all heard of this thing called the imposter complex? Anybody heard of that? It's pretty wide. Tiffany, come on! You're supposed to be my person on the psychological, sociological stuff. You went to school, girl. Come on. Sorry, Tiffany. So the imposter complex basically says it's pretty widely recognized, and apparently most people have it in some way. And it's this: eventually, everyone will know I'm a fraud at blank. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not as good as I make myself seem. I don't have it all together. I'm kind of like holding it all by a thread, right? And I feel like it's some, in some way we, we all have that. Like if it's at work, if it's with our family. Okay, so the one that I've realized, so I, I work with students, right? The one that I've realized, and I'm just going to help parents out. Every parent here feels like they don't know what they're doing. I'm, like, I'm serious. Like I think there are general areas where you're like, okay, I've got a handle on this. But, like, most of the time, like, there's no rule book. There's no guidebook. There's no, like, okay, when your kid does this thing, X plus Y equals Z, there's no equation for that. There's not even, like, you can't even treat siblings the same way. Same parents, two different people, right? Like, like and I think a lot, like, as parents, we're like, man, eventually people are going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. So we got to cover up, hide it, everything like that. And I think we all have that in some way, whatever it is. Um, so that's one thing that we all kind of feel like, I don't really know what I'm doing in some area. And then there's this other thing over here. Y'all ever heard of this thing called the looking glass self? If you're in youth, you should know what this is. I say it like every week. This is what the looking glass, Tiffany, you know that one? Yeah, okay, cool. This makes me think the other one is something I dreamt or something and made up. Um, the looking glass self is this. Um, you are not what you think about yourself. You're not what other people think about you. You are what you think other people think about you. You know what I mean? Sorry, that's kind of a tongue twister. But basically, we, we go through life and we say, I think Randall thinks this about me, and that causes me to behave a certain way to Randall. Fair? And here's what I think those two things do to us. They cause us to be hyper aware of the way people around us perceive us. And we're afraid at some point we'll be losers and not winners. We'll be on the outside rather than the inside. Like we're afraid that whatever status we've gotten, we fought for, we've called for, whatever, eventually something will happen and we'll lose it, right? And I think this becomes hyper real during this time when we have to talk to relatives about all our stuff we're doing, about all our kids, about our work. When we have to buy people things that we know they're going to compare to things other people got. Like, we become really aware of who and what we are. Like, you, I'll show you. I can show you in 20 seconds with five people the way this plays out. You ready? Y'all ready for this? Megan. That's Megan. She was an intern this summer. Megan, what are you going to do when you graduate? Who? Did that make you feel instantly anxious? Okay. Connor, what are you going to do when you graduate? <laughs> Cole, what are you going to do when you graduate? Oh, wow, really? Really? That, okay, never mind. That was awesome. Um, okay, what about this? Josiah, how are your grades this semester? Whew, this is a good one. Um, uh, let's see, what else? What else? Um, that's probably enough. Like those, but those are the conversations they have to have. And those are the conversations we have to have. And they expose every insecurity about us. And all of a sudden, we start like trying to figure out ways to stack stuff up and become things and do things and whatever things. And what we, what we need to realize is that's not the way God looks at us. God doesn't look at us according to wins and losses, according to, to costs and benefits, according to you know, net gain and net loss. That's not the way he looks at us. He doesn't look and say like, hey... What, here's your, let's do your end of the year performance review. That's not the way he looks at us. He looks at us and says, what are you doing 
what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing about the central figure in human history? What are you doing about the one that we see is the most important one? Are you accepting my offer of him with you? Are you doing whatever you can to pursue that offer? See, you're not measured by salary. You're not measured by kids' good or bad behavior. You're not measured by any of that stuff. Your criteria, your thing, your deal is where do you stand with Jesus? See, we kind of think we have the spectrum of like either I care about this stuff or I don't care about this stuff. And if I can move far enough this way, I'll be good. But what God says is this spectrum's broken. You have to get off of it. You have to anchor your identity in a completely different thing. You have to. So God does things differently because he sees things differently. We need to see things differently so we can do things differently. See, and once we get that, man, stress, anxiety, it just evaporates. It gives us tools to fight against those things. Another thing, like God calls it, like, what we see here is your primary calling is to be with God. Your primary calling is not to do for. Your primary calling is not to, is not to go expend energy. Your primary calling is to be with. So here's a question. How do you plan to be with God for the next month? What is your thing? Like, where, where do you do it? Because you're going to, I mean, I'm telling you, we're gonna, even though there's like vacation days built into the next month, I feel like we're probably going to be busier than we have the rest of the year. Where is your time with Jesus? Because what we see is when we're with God, things start to happen. That's what happens. Joseph has encounter with angel of the Lord, is able to be obedient. Mary has encounter with the Holy Spirit, births Jesus. We have time with Jesus, changes our heart, changes who we are, fundamentally alters our disposition, bears the fruit of the Spirit in us. You have to actually have a plan. Otherwise, I'm telling you, you just get eaten up. Y'all know that. Y'all know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You just get eaten up. Your day gets planned for you. By texts and emails and phone calls and voices and all this other stuff. Be, on, be proactive. We've got Advent guides out there. Use that as a tool to slow down. Use that as a tool to say, hey, there's hustle and bustle and commotion and so much out there. I'm going to press pause and slow down. We're called to be with him. Make this a season where your priority, more than anything, is to press pause on all of that and be with him. Because out of that's where the good stuff flows. It's what we're made for. It's what this is all about. God created us to be with him. He sent Jesus so we could be with him. He continually works in us through the Holy Spirit so that we can be with him. It's what he wants. Let's go for it. Last thing. Um, John Wesley said, uh, it's dying words, where the greatest of all is God with us. Respectfully to the founder of the Methodist Church, I disagree. I do not think the greatest of all is God with us. Jesus didn't think the greatest of all is God with us. Because the baby that we're reading about ultimately became a man. And this, and this man said this. He said, it is better for you that I go. Because then the Father will send the Holy Spirit. See, what, we don't, uh, what, what this teases at, what this alludes to, is that what we need is not stuff out here. What we need is something in here. And Jesus comes, not so that our situations will get easier, so that our hearts will be healed, so that we'll be made better from the inside out, so that fear and anxiety and stress and worry and all that stuff, we have power to actually fight against it. See, God with us is great, but God in us is the best of all. And that's what he came to provide. That's what he came to do. This season is about the fulfillment of God's intention to completely save, heal, and deliver you. This is about God's intention to work from the inside out. Uh, Whoever's playing, I'll go ahead and come up. Um, So as we celebrate, as we do Christmas this year, as we do Advent, you've got to remember, you had a need. And ultimately, there was hope that that need would be met. And ultimately, that hope was fulfilled. And it was done with these three words, God with us. But it was ultimately done in one person. 
It was done in this man, Jesus. He came to fully save us, fully heal us, and fully deliver us. But the way that he did that was not by waving a magic wand. The way he did it was by anchoring himself with us, never forsaking us, never leaving us, being completely with us. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to respond, okay? Um, I fully believe, this is something I, I believe, and it kind of like makes this seem a little weird, but I don't believe there's a sermon that changes someone's life. I just don't. I believe that decisions change lives, though. I believe that responses change lives. Um, and so this text calls us to respond. This text calls us to say, are we living, are we living like he's with us and in us? Are we living with our hope fulfilled? Are we living, realizing who God is, how tenderly he loves us, so much that he bound himself to us? And so I want us to do two things this morning. I want you to ask yourself two questions. One, are you struck with amazement by this story? Or are you used to it? Two, are you doing what it takes to be with him? Are you pressing pause? Are you slowing down? Or are you saying no to the noise of life so you can be with him? We need to look at this. We need to look at God's intensity, his intense desire to be with us and let that fuel us. He was so tired of us being distant that he came down and he got us. So if you want to respond by giving offerings, we have these baskets up here. Give your offerings. If you want to respond by remembering Jesus and taking communion, got the cup right there. If you want to respond by being prayed for, we're going to have ministry ministry teams. Y'all go ahead and come up. Um, We're going to have ministry teams on either side. And they'll pray for you about anything you want. Um, I, just, I, just want to res- I just want you to respond in the way that you feel is appropriate. Respond. Does the, story, does the story thrill you? When we sing songs, it says a thrill of hope. Is it a thrill of hope? If it's not, do what it takes to make it that. And are you, and do you, you, you going to do what it takes to actually be with them? Because that's where all the good stuff happens. That's what we're called. That's what we're made for. Good? I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to respond. Jesus, we love you. Um, We're so thankful that you decided to be with us. We pray that right now you would be as close as you could be. Help us embrace you so that we can embrace life and life at its highest level. We love you and we need you. Amen. They're going to play for a little bit. Steve's going to come up and close us out. Respond how you need to.